Hello, everyone. I'm Elliot Volkman, and this is Modev Presents. Each week, we chat with the latest and greatest people making a difference in the mobile world. Today with me is Deepak, the VP of Monetization at Quickly. And on May 18th, he'll be leading a discussion at MVPConf about getting stakeholder buy-in on your ideas. Before we get into it, Deepak, why don't you give us a little bit about a little information about yourself and maybe some of your background? Sure. Thanks, Elliot. So as Elliot mentioned, my name is Deepak, and uh, I'm currently VP of product at uh, Quixi, and I have over 17 years of experience uh, in the technology industry. I basically describe myself as a product guy, and my passion is advertising and specifically advertising technology. And, you know, I think sometimes people find it kind of creepy that why, why are you showing me ads online or in mobile? But my general belief is that actually advertising goes a long way to make it easier for people to find and discover products and services. And, you know, in advertising, I'm passionate about how to make sure that we understand data about the person, what are we targeting for, whether it's based on location, interest, audiences, how do we figure out the right ad that might be interesting Mm -hmm. to you at the right time? And, you know, what we generally find is that people actually find these ads relevant, and when they do, they click, they engage, they buy products, they buy services, and in general, that makes the world a better place. So that's what kind of makes, that's that's kind of my core passion. Um, Now, besides that, just to give you a little bit about my background, um, I've spent time, uh, you know, in technology consulting, working for companies such as Cognizant and Capgemini. I also worked at an online TV startup, uh, Spotrunner in LA, back in 2008. Uh, and, and, and then uh, I spent a couple of years at AT&T Interactive, where I built out their ad platform, took it to a billion dollars in revenue, and then also helped manage and lead the local search products, both for uh, online as well as app. So a lot of experience you know, managing uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue, growing them through various ad product initiatives. And then uh, the last nine months, I've been at Quixie and Silicon Valley, really focused around mobile app monetization. So that is awesome. You have just a very wide range of backgrounds, everywhere from obviously startup to working with large organizations and large, huge budgets. So it's very cool. And you know what? I also have to totally agree with you on advertising. You know, gone are the days where you just stick a TV ad up, hope you find the right audience. Now that, you know, data is available and we have so much information out there, it's so much easier to just deliver a message to the right people who would find it relevant and interesting to, you know, get in front of them, get them introduced to it. So I'm I'm with you. Yep. So you clearly have an amazing background on app monetization. What drew you into the mobile space in particular? Sure. You know, I think personally I relate to it a lot because I spent so much of my time in mobile and then within that in app. And then if you look at the industry data, you know, on average in the U.S., people spend 52% of their media consumption time in mobile, of which 85% of the time is spent on apps. Yet, when you look at ad dollars, less than 25% of it is in mobile advertising. So, you know, as an advertising guy, clearly kind of the road ahead seemed pretty clear to me is that in, as this industry grows, a lot more dollars are going to flow into mobile. And the space personally is very interesting to me because if you think about it, you know, you mentioned earlier previously that, you know, gone are the days when TV advertising kind of stick an ad and you don't know and 
And I think it was a famous guy who said, like, I know I spend my money in advertising and I, I think it works, but I just don't know which app works, right? But if you fast forward to today's thing, mm-hmm. especially with mobile apps, the ROI is so clear for a lot of these app marketers because not only do they understand, you know, what impressions led to which clicks, but then from there, they can actually understand which clicks led to transactions and engagement mm-hmm. inside their apps. And they can say for every dollar of media spent, how many dollars did I make back in transactions or engagement or even for brand marketers, what is the lifetime value of that customer? So to me, exactly. you know, while I spend a lot of time on monetization and ads, to me, the mobile space is clearly kind of the next generation of where advertising is going and specifically around apps, right? We're just going to see a lot of traction and, and, and brand as well as direct response advertising dollars flow into this space. Yeah, I, you know what? I think you're on par with that. I mean, we're getting to the point where we can actually figure out a specific button in an app has led to X amount of dollars of revenue or even, you know, ads. I mean, if you look at some of the game creators out there, like King and Supercell, who create those pretty addictive games, they spent like $500 million in marketing in like the past year. So it's just, it's a very crazy and interesting market. And I think maybe ad spend for mobile in particular is already in the billions now. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but there was a report was, in the last uh, $19 million in 2014, and it'll probably go up to like $30 billion this year. Or more. That is just insane, and that's—I mean, it's—it's it's the new gold rush. So, people yeah. are clearly understanding that <laughs> it makes sense. But you know, are people on the same page? Do they know how to use it yet? Maybe, um, but you know, obviously, the tools and resources are growing along with that spend. So, it's becoming more logical. It's great. Yep. Cool. So, just for a bit of a fun question, um, you know, what are your thoughts on the way HBO Silicon Valley portrays? I guess, between both startups and how people monetize it, monetize things? <laughs> so, you know, uh, I guess the million-dollar question is, is Richard Hendrick the new pipe piper and should we just follow him <laughs> to the mountain of gold in Silicon Valley? Right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the show is hilarious. I'm not a big TV guy, but, you know, sure. I, I do follow it. And, and I think while there are some elements that, that ring true, but I would say for the most part, it's just a lot of fiction, right? It's a comedy at mm-hmm. the end of the day. They want sure. to make you laugh. But if you think about it in the real world, I and mean, you know, I've had some good opportunities to participate with VCs, participate with you know, institutional investors, mm-hmm. both during my career at AT&T and then at Quixie. And I can tell you one thing, Elliot, I know for certain, that in a lot of the big money transactions, there is just a ton of due diligence that goes into each funding, you know, Absolutely. these guys each, you know, for each project, there's a deal team and that deal team will take the time to understand your product, mm-hmm. understand your core architecture, understand the product vision. They're going to take a hard look at the financials. They're going to run their own haircuts on it and come back to you and grill you. I've sat in so many of these sessions where they've grilled all my revenue forecasts, mm-hmm. the product features. And only after that, do they kind of make a recommendation to the, executive who says, okay, yes or no, right? And oftentimes the media will portray that, you know, so-and-so chairman of this big tech company made a decision in 30 minutes. The reality behind the scenes is that there's like a team that's working on weeks or months, and then the final decision is made in 30 minutes, sure. But it's usually based on the recommendation of the people who actually spend the hard work and time. So, so yeah, well, you know, they, they do portray an ideal world. I would say, 
that probably happens 10, 20% of the cases. I would say 80% mm -hmm. or more. There's just a lot of hard work going behind the scenes to make it happen. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. I mean, as much as we would love for it to be as easy as berating a room full of investors, it doesn't quite work like that. A lot of research and data and information is obviously conveyed. I mean, you can even see a bit of that in Shark Tank a little bit. Even yeah. that, I would say, is still not the total reality when it comes to uh, monetization and kind of the investment world either. Yeah, like you talked about Shark Tank, Shark Tank Elliot, and, and it's fascinating because uh, you know my my wife loves to see that show, and so I sit down there and I watch it. And over time, if you notice, there's there's a definite trend and a pattern in how they make investments, right? Mm -hmm. If if the funding is if the concept is too early, they say go back and work on it, and they usually ask very key questions, which are like, how much money have you made in the last few months? Tell me a little bit if your idea is patented. And if there seems to be like a certain probability of success, that's when the sharks just dig in and they want to like jump on it, right? But for like unproven ideas or they're just not mature yet, mm -hmm. they're very quick to poo-poo it and say, get out of here or like, you know, come back <laughs> to us. Exactly. And in reality, I think those people are really probably just taking an opportunity because they're on TV and it's free advertising and reach for them at that point. Exactly. Cool. So, you know, during the conference, you're going to share from a case study on getting stakeholder buy-in. When coming up with an idea, what kind of things do you have to have completed in advance before really bringing it to other people um, within the organization? Sure. I mean, I think the answer in general is it depends on what these people are that you're presenting to, right? Sure. So it could be, it could vary all the way from an idea on the back of a paper napkin or a whiteboarding session if you're meeting with your engineering lead or your peer, all the way to a 100-page deck if you're going to meet the CEO of a large organization, right? So it depends on the context. It depends on what your idea is all about. But in general, I would say that there are four key points that I always advise people to think about, right? First one is, what is the problem or opportunity you're trying to solve with your idea, right? Uh, Second, how does your idea help solve that problem? The third, I would say, is that how does it either make money or add value to the end user? You know, is your product either going to solve a key problem for the mm -hmm. user or in some way help the organization make more money, right? All of those things have to be considered. And the fourth one, which is more important, is that if your idea does get buy-in, how will you actually make it happen, right? So mm -hmm. if the CEO looks around to you or your engineering manager says, that's a great idea, Deepak. I love it. What do we do next? You better have a good answer which says you may not have flushed out the idea in all its execution, but you should at least be able to say these are the three things that we need to do in order to actually make this idea happen. Absolutely. And I mean, obviously, for each level of stakeholder buy-in, there's a certain amount of information. And at, at some point, you're going to actually need some sort of concrete example so, you know, sometimes it can be the back of a napkin. It can be a bit of a prototype. But at what point do you really need, like, a concrete example? Like, do you need maybe an application or, like, even a wireframe of what you're looking to build? You know, I, I, absolutely. I, I think all my experiences, whether it's been a large company or a small company, um, you have to figure out there are two things at, at, at stake here, right? If you have a good idea and you talk to multiple stakeholders and you think the idea has merit, figure out a way to make it concrete. Um, two two sub-aspects of it. One, do rigorous 
analysis of facts and data so that you have the numbers to back it up. You know, mm -hmm. even if you don't have specific numbers about your project, can you talk about the market and the industry and sure. where it's going? So I could say, you know, the mobile advertising industry is going from $18 million to $40 million in the next one year. Okay, mm -hmm. that's a fact. How do we participate in that market opportunity? The other thing I would say is, the, the other second aspect I would say is around the emotional response. You know, not all decisions, as much as we might like to think that humans are rational and logical, mm -hmm. a lot of the decisions are made by tugging at your emotional aspects, right? Sure. You know, is this going to have a real, is, this, is the UX so appealing that it just tugs that you have this, wow, I want this product, I want to engage with it. Apple is mm -hmm. a great example of how their products are just visually so engaging in all the features that they've caught with attention to detail that you actually want to engage with it. Right? So I usually try to put both of these things into consideration and you know, the ideas could then flow from a whiteboarding session into a wireframe, into rich high fidelity like comps that can be weaved together pretty quickly with all the tools we have into making a very you know, engaging flow and say, look, this is how the app could look like or this is how the product will function in front of an end user. So, and then kind of accompanied with a set of facts which talk about the market, talk about how we're going to go impact the market. And usually the combination of these thing, thing, these two items, in my experience, is usually good enough to kind of help the right decision makers, mm -hmm. you know, buy into your recommendation, right? So, so once they have that, uh, uh, then it can go from there into either a proof of concept or an MVP where you'd start to define the minimal set of features sure. that'll make it compelling. Yeah, I think that's, a great way to go about it. Um, so what if it was more than just a product? What if it was a new approach to how the business was kind of doing things? So, you know, with your background in monetization, this might be kind of a good area to look at. Some apps, let's say, for example, uh, there's a software company that generally creates apps and they charge, you know, anywhere between, you know, two bucks and five dollars for it. Say a developer or product manager comes in and says, Instead of doing that, why don't we give it away for free and either use in-app banner ads or use some sort of a freemium model? How would you go about breaching or broaching that kind of subject? Because it can be a pretty um, you know, sensitive area to some people. Sure. So I think you just have to apply you know, a, a sort of a business model to each of those scenarios, right? So what I would do is if I have been – as to consider it, I would kind of think of optionality. So if option one is, you know, have a paid app, then you would look at the market for benchmarks and say, mm -hmm. what percentage of the apps today are free versus paid? You'll find that the overwhelming majority is free and only a small minority is paid. There's good reason for that because you're starting to create a barrier to entry for any consumer to engage with your app the moment mm -hmm. you put a price to it. Now, if it's a utility or something that's compelling and maybe an early one to market or has a set of features that are really unique, but you think people will pay for it? Great. You know, maybe you can charge a dollar or two dollars, but make sure that there are, you know, industry parallels or mm -hmm. other, like how have they done in this space, right? So that's one aspect. If you think of Minecraft, for example, I, I know it because my eight-year-old son loves using it. He made me dish out $25 to buy it. But, you know, sure. once it's there, he, it's one of the highest – it's one of the most successful paid apps. Yeah, it is. Right? And, and once people have it, they have a whole plethora of features 
the amount of gaming, like the, the amount of features that are in there are really compelling mm-hmm. and, and, and you're not going to get off it. So I think it's actually worth it, right? Uh, so that's one example. Or if you talked about the second scenario, which is having in-app banner ads or some other in-app purchases. Mm-hmm. That's the model that majority of the app developers have taken today. And, and for, there's a lot of good reason behind it. And, and the best way to think of that in terms of monetization is that think of the reach that your app will have. If you're going to reach out to tens of millions of consumers on an everyday basis, you can very quickly model out the number of impressions per day, therefore the eCPM rate that's happening today, and therefore how much monetization can you expect to make. You know, for the vast majority of app developers, again, they go in there very optimistically, and they land up making 500 bucks a day, or five, rather, right. it's 500 bucks a month, right? So that's clearly not the answer. <laughs> so, so, you know, if it's in-app purchases, you better make sure that the whales, who the 5% of people who are really going to spend a lot of money, exactly. are they actually going to give you enough money that you can, whether it's your hobby or a full-time living, you better make sure your models are right and conserved enough that, that this actually makes money for you, Otherwise, you're better off doing something else. Absolutely. So I'm getting a general theme that a lot that goes into not just stakeholder buying, you know, really any kind of future-making decision, you should have a great deal of research going into it. So not just competitors, but all around the board. So um, obviously, there's a lot of startups that don't have that mentality, which is kind of interesting. They think the shiny object will sell itself. But, um, you know, at what point do you think research should include user feedback? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think there are companies, so the overwhelming majority of companies do factor in user research, and I'm a big mm-hmm. believer in that. Um, during my time at, at YP, we used to have an entire UX lab dedicated to um, awesome. bringing people in, and, uh, you know, it was a formal lab set up where you would show them early prototypes of our apps or products, get feedback, and, you know, it was like a, we even had like a one-way mirror where we would, you know, the product guys would be looking at how the experiments have been conducted, hearing feedback first sure. time, and, and uh, you know, using that to improve the product. And, and so I would say that there are different stages in which user feedback counts. Um, you know, as soon as you have probably the first version of your MVP built or even wireframes, take that to your customers. Go out on the streets, get them into a lab, whatever it takes, right? But get feedback on, is this engaging? Is this interesting? What's good? What's bad? Uh, and then the second stage that I think every good product manager should do, which is don't just take that feedback at, use, at, at, at face value, right? Consider it because the, the consumer might be wrong. In fact, in some cases, they are wrong just because they don't understand what the future is, right? Exactly. So sometimes as a product manager when you're trying to shape the future, um, user feedback is important, but take it with a grain of salt and make sure you mm-hmm. kind of have your own conviction, your own co- kind of internal compass of what you think the market needs in the future. And don't be hesitant. Take some risk. You know, go build it out, launch it. But when it launches, if it runs well, awesome. You got a you know great you know uh, you know thump in the back. But if it doesn't, which will happen a lot of the cases, make sure the key there, Elliot, is to take that feedback into consideration very early on and keep iterating and running fast so that you do hit the right product market fit that you're looking to get for your product. Absolutely, I think that's you know a great way to actually sum that all up. 
um, you know, feedback in all regards is going to be important for product developers, especially if you're going to be doing the MVP approach, which, you know, is really iterative. Um, so I think that's great information. So just out of curiosity, do you have any big projects that you're working on right now or kind of coming down into the pipeline? Sure. Yeah, I, I can, cannot say too much, but one of the things of that, course. you know, with Quixi are doing is that, you know, we describe ourselves as a search engine for apps. And mm -hmm. so we're going beyond the step of saying, how do you help me find the right app to really how do you help me find the right function or content inside apps and then help connect me to that specific page in the app. And, and the way we're doing that, so if you think about, let's say if you type in, find me best hotels in Mountain View today into your search browser, chances that you're going to get a set of blue links that take you to mobile websites that are static in nature. If you want to book that hotel, you have to go through a couple of steps to, you know, find the hotel, check in, check out dates, location, price ranges, and make the book. Mm -hmm. But you might also have Expedia or Booking.com or Kayak on your, your phone. And what if we could help when you typed in that same search, find me the best hotel in Mountain View, we could understand by crawling and indexing the content inside app, we can say, you know what, here are the three most relevant apps. They're Kayak, Expedia, Booking.com. Here are the most relevant hotels inside them, and we surface them up with what we call as deep view cards, which have like star rating, the price points, the check-in availability, and we'll tap on it, right? If you have the app, we'll deep link you into the app. If you don't have it, we'll still send you to the mobile website equivalent. But now you can do the transaction really quickly because that deep view helps you understand the right places, and then the deep link mm -hmm. helps you. And once you're in the app, one, two transactions, one, two taps, and you're done. Right? And the experience becomes a lot more seamless compared to the broken experience that's there today, which is not helping people connect from their mobile web and their smartphones to their apps. So that's really the next generation of search technology and mobile app-centric search technology that we here at Quixi are building. And mm -hmm. as the leader of monetization, my job is to start figuring out engaging ways to help advertisers make money, whether they be apps or help brands make money by helping people discover more of their content and like, you know, engage with their, their content in, inside of apps. That's awesome. I mean, <laughs> obviously right now, search functions to try to find applications are pretty basic if you think about yep. it. Um, but that sounds like it's really kind of intuitive and it's really more like feature focused and content focused instead of just here's the name of the app. So that's great. Yep, that's right. So we're seeing some, some early traction with it, and I, I think this is the future. This is where a lot of the dollars are going to flow as people mm -hmm. continue to spend more of, more of their time within apps. How, you know, it's going to, the number of apps in the app stores is already like beyond 1.5 million. And you know, it's really hard for new apps to get discovered, let alone the content inside their apps, right? And so what mm -hmm. we're building is a search engine that says, you know, help me book a hotel or help me get a cab or find me a table reservation for, for a nice French restaurant nearby. And how do we deliver that right experience in one, two, three taps at the most so that you can get on your way? What basically Google did like 15 years ago for the web uh, at Quixi, our mission is to do the same thing for apps. That is awesome. And that seems obviously like a logical step that kind of makes you wonder why it's not out there 
you know, natively through the app stores. So, I mean, it's hard, right? Even even Apple and Google have a hard time figuring mm-hmm. that out, just because unlike the web, Elliot, where like you know HTTP links were the common unifying mm-hmm. uh, factor, each app sure. has its own silo and its own wall garden, right? And everybody's mm-hmm. taken different methods to figure out how to put the right features and content. And so kind of creating that graph and creating that universal graph, which lets you connect from one app to another, while deep linking exists, it's still in its early infancy stage. And so I think as the industry matures and as app developers start to mature in figuring out commerce, I think this will eventually, this will uh, organically evolve, where I think in a year from now, mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot more of this stuff happening and, and everyone from OEMs, carriers, search engines, the big tech companies, there's going to be a rush where, like, how do we figure out? So I think we're at this stage where you're more in the early innovator stage. You still have to get to the early adopters, and the majority has to follow from there. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, so yeah. where can people find out more information about you and, of course, your, uh, quickly as well? Sure. So, I mean, um, you know, people can learn more about me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Dita Kral. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can, you can find me by my name. Uh, I also have a Twitter handle at Deepak Takral, my first and last name combined. Um, yeah, well, I don't have a blog, unfortunately, but yeah, you, can, you can read up more about me on, on these two places. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, obviously, we'll get people to check you out on Twitter and LinkedIn um, and send people over to your session during MVP as well. I think it's going to be a lot of great information. I know um, you know, stakeholder buy-in is a huge interest area, especially if you are at a larger organization, you're trying to have more impact. And then, of course, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some conversation about app monetization scalability with some of the folks that will probably come pick your brain. Um, so, Absolutely. you know, again, I thank you so much for your time, and I think this has just been great. Yeah, thank you so much, Elliot. It was great.